This is the first Sunday of 2024. First Sunday of the year. Um, and, and this is part two of a sermon series titled Greater Things. We started it last year as our, as our New Year's Eve service. Um, and we looked at last year why we should dream big and trust God. So this sermon series is going to end next Sunday. It's going to be a three-part series. And then we're going to continue a series about our identity in Christ. Who we are, who we were created to be. And, and, and in that, we're going to tie this dreaming big and trusting God into that series as well. And then Easter comes early this year. It's the last Sunday in March. So we'll do our Easter giving series because we, we, we give away our entire Easter offering to the three um, international missions we support. So we'll do that in March. And then after that, we're going to get back into the book of Revelation. So that's what the, the next quarter looks like. So, um, but I'm really excited about what I feel God has for us as a church and as individuals. And, you know, there's several reasons based on God's word and his character on why we should dream big, why we should not hold back on the, the things that we believe he's speaking to us about, and why we should trust him in the process. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to go online, vineyard05.com. I skipped that whole part of the announcements. Vineyard05.com. If you miss a sermon, you can go there and watch it. You can also go to our Facebook page and watch the sermons. Because that is, this is kind of like a springboard into the new year. And that'll kind of get you where we're at today, if you missed last Sunday. But last, the last part of last Sunday's message, we touched on something that often hinders us from dreaming big and trusting God. And that something is our past. We often allow our past to hinder what we plan to do in the future. We often allow our past to define who we are. We often allow our past to dictate the days we have ahead of us. We allow our past to become a part of our identity when it's in the past. And so today we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit deeper on that topic. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at why we should continue to dream big and trust God despite our past. Dream big and trust God despite what the past looks, looks like. Never let the past define the future. Now, there's other reasons that keep us from dreaming big and trusting God, right? Like, like one of them would be uh, fear of failure, uh, lack of discipline. Um, what's another one that I have here? Uh, a refusal to adjust. I'm really big on making adjustments. If you, if you have plans that you want to do and you refuse to pivot, does anybody remember that from friends? If you refuse to pivot, if you refuse to adjust as you're working these plans out, you're going to miss out because there's often things that happen where God says, whoa, we need to, we need to kind of navigate through this a little bit to get to the end point. But I think the past, though, is our biggest hindrance. Why do I think that's our biggest hindrance? Because we have an enemy out there. His name is Satan. He is the devil. Now, Lucifer, Satan himself, he's, he's not worried about little old Chip Richardson in Wellsburg, Ohio. 
right? He's, he's dealing with world leaders and, and nations and, and, and world things. But there's levels and layers of his kingdom on this earth. And their sole purpose is to destroy God's creation. And what better way to keep God's creation from moving forward than to constantly remind them of the mistakes they've made, right? Do, do, do enough of us remind ourselves of the mistakes we've made? And oftentimes, that comes from the enemy. So listen to what James, in the, the, the letter that James wrote in, in chapter 3, verse 2, he tells us, he says this, Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, putting this into context, this entire chapter is talking about how our mouths are a very small part of our body, but they seem to get us in the biggest of troubles. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it does the most damage. And James says, listen, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. See, what comes out of our mouths has the power to bring both blessings and curses, life and death, encouragement or teardown, criticize or compliment. And it all comes out of our mouth. And if we could control that, we would be perfect in every other way. But unfortunately, we can't and we aren't. We all make mistakes, and generally, it's something that came out of our mouths. But even before that, though, James says, he starts it out and he says, Indeed, we all make mistakes. Now, that sentence right there got me to thinking, so I did a little bit of a word search for you. I took the word all, and I looked at the definition in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Latin, and the American English. Four different languages. And I'll be darned, do you know what the word all means in all of those languages? All. <laughs> Everything. Everyone. All of us. There isn't a person in this room or on this earth that is exempt when the word all is used. We all make mistakes. Now listen to this, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Romans chapter 3, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. James, we all make mistakes. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of helps me feel a little bit better about myself. Because I make mistakes, and you know where they generally come from? This thing. And my joke is this, is like, like when I get to heaven, sometimes I think Jesus is going to be like, hey, Chip, can we talk about what you said? Oh, it was just a joke. Yeah, I know, but... <laughs> This makes me feel better. Look, Solomon, the wisest man who walked the earth, wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote the Proverbs, and he wrote the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs sometimes. These are all wisdom, books of wisdom. He says not a single one of us is always good and never sins. 
Then we have the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans. We all fall short of the God's glorious standards. We all sin and fall short. Paul was a Jewish religious zealous for God. And he hated Christianity. He hated Jesus. Then he has this radical encounter with Jesus, gets saved, begins planting churches all around the Mediterranean area, and he writes most of the New Testament. And he says, we all fall short, every single one of us. And then we have James, James, the brother of Jesus. We all make mistakes, except Jesus. Uh, what was that like growing up in his house? Like, you know, like, hey, we all make mistakes. And then Jesus is like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe James was constantly reminded like that. And he was like, well, I guess we all make mistakes because he constantly reminded me of that. We all fall short. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, it means we're not perfect. And second of all, it means we need Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need. Listen, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. To seek and save those who are lost means that Jesus came to chase down, because that's what he does. He chases after us. Those who need their relationship with their Father in heaven restored. He came to seek and save. He came to restore. Jesus is a God of restoration. And part of this plan is to restore God's original dream for each one of us. See, we have dreams that we want to do in life, right? Well, did you know that as a believer, as a Christian, generally those dreams were given to us by God because he had seen that in us long before we were ever born? So these dreams that we think we've thought up, God is like, this is, this is who I created you to be. And so Jesus came to restore all of that. So how do we get back on track despite the mistakes that we've made? Well, the very first thing that we need to do when we make mistakes is own it. We need to own our mistakes. We need to accept responsibility for our mistakes. We need to honestly accept the responsibility for the mistakes made, the dumb decisions, the poorly thought out choices, the things we've said, the things we've done, the things we got caught up in that we wish we hadn't done. Just own it. Because here's the deal. If truth be told... We don't have anybody responsible other than ourselves for our own conduct, right? We, I mean, we are the ones who are accountable for what we do. We can't blame anybody for our own actions. And Galatians chapter 6 tells us, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. The things that I do that get me in trouble, the mistakes that I've made, I can't blame somebody else for that. I can't blame Kim for that. I can't blame you know, somebody else who I got caught up doing something I shouldn't have been doing for, I need to own it. I got myself into it. Maybe I was influenced by other people. Doesn't matter. I need to own it. So I want to take you down a little, little story time here. 
the night that Jesus was betrayed, all right, he makes this very profound statement to Peter. Now, Peter's my guy. Peter, I think, often gets a bad rap because he's the guy that he didn't really have much self-awareness. He was always saying things without thinking. And, and we kind of give Peter a bad rap. But I think Peter, Peter loved Jesus so much, he really was willing to die for Jesus. And I, I, I really admire Peter's tenacity for his faith in Jesus and, and how he... But he got himself in a little bit of a pickle one night. But Jesus says to him, so, so the night that Jesus was betrayed... All right. They have the last supper. Then after the supper, Jesus refers to Peter by his birth name, Simon. So Jesus had a habit of changing people's names. He changed Simon's to Peter. Peter means the rock. But because he addresses him as Simon, tells me that this is something that's got some, some significance to it, right? Like when a parent refers to their child by their first and middle name. Not just the last name, but the middle name. That, that really means you're in trouble. But Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Now this was after the Last Supper, so I believe he's referring to the 12. All right? But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. He's given Peter a little, Peter, it's about to go down. And, and you, my friend, have no idea. Now, Satan's goal here was to crush and wreck the disciples' faith. I mean, he's asked to sift them like wheat, Jesus says. He wants to crush them like like. When you, when, you, when you harvest wheat. And that is his goal for every follower of Jesus. Every single one of us, he wants to crush and sift us like wheat so that he can wreck our faith in Jesus. And sometimes it's a really hard blow and sometimes it's very sneaky and conniving and it feels good with what we're doing and the next thing you know, we're crushed. That's his goal in life for us. The, the, the pinnacle of God's creation. All right? But this is, this is the night Jesus was betrayed. This is the biggest night in the, all history of the world. But there's a very telling sentence in this passage. So when you have repented and turned to me again, Jesus says. See, Jesus knew that Peter was going to come back. He's telling Peter, listen, hey, Peter, this is a pretty serious thing that's going to happen. Like, when you have repented, I, I, I think that that part might have just flew past Peter. You know, like, like, oh, never. When you have repented and turned back to me again, I've got work for you because you, my friend, are going to need to strengthen your brothers. And I love Peter's story, especially when Jesus bakes a fish breakfast for everybody after he resurrects, and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him. And man, that story brings tears to my eyes because Peter is this, just, oh, Jesus is back. But here's the deal Jesus knows we're going to make mistakes, Jesus knows we're going to fall short. But the good news is that as long as we stay close to him, Jesus is there to restore what we have messed up. 
He came to seek and save. He came to recover and restore. That's what he does. And so the night that he's arrested, all right, so we have the Last Supper. He institutes communion, which is symbolic of his, his death and resurrection, his broken body and shed blood. And then he has this private conversation with Peter. And then they all go, they get, go to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes Peter, James, and John with him, his inner three. And Jesus is praying in agony because he knows what's about to happen. And then here comes Judas, his betrayer, along with the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. And they're going to arrest Jesus on false charges. And they do, and they arrest him. And there's a little scuffle and all this stuff happens. And so they take Jesus to the high priest's house. Now, now this is what I believe, a little bit of an epiphany that I think the, the Lord just kind of dropped in my spirit. So this is just, just me. You can, you can disagree with me on this if you want. It doesn't matter. I'm not. But this is, what, this is how I kind of interpret some of this part of this story. And it's, it's an analogy, all right? They take Jesus back, right? He's, they lead him back in chains. They're, they're, they interrogate him, punching him. They're spitting on him. And in the high priest's house is a courtyard with a fire going. Now, I don't know if the fire is always going every night or if this night was special because the spiritual realm and everything is just, just like in a frenzy. Satan thinks he's, 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 he's got it, man. I'm, I'm almost, I've almost claimed victory. And we're in the high priest's house, and at the houses at that time, uh, I'm picturing like open windows, open doors, right? Big stone home and stuff. And, and here comes Peter following along at a distance. He's at a distance, but he can still keep his eyes on Jesus. He can still see Jesus, but he's kind of like, you know, hiding behind trees and just following, seeing what's going on. And as far as I know, Peter's the only one that had the guts to get this close. But then he makes a slight mistake. He sits down at the campfire with the enemy. People begin to recognize him. Now, prior to this, I'm sorry, I forgot a very important part of the story. Jesus says, hey, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I won't. No, I won't. So he, he puts himself in a bad position because people start to recognize him. You're a Galilean. You, you, you knew this man. You were with, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. Denies him. I don't know him. Denies him. The third time he denies Jesus, the rooster crows, and Peter's like, ah. Oh. And in Mark chapter 14, it says that he denied Jesus, and then he swore, and then weeped bitterly. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't know if he cussed, said a bunch of bad words, yelled at whoever was accusing him of being knowing Jesus, but he swore, and then he went away weeping bitterly. And in one of the other Gospels, I didn't have time to, to look this up, it might be Matthew, but it says that, that Jesus looks over at Peter, and he sees him. This is, this is where I kind of picture like these open windows and doors, because Jesus can, he sees Peter deny him for the third time. And Peter is crushed. He's heartbroken. It's just he walks away. Just think of what a loser he feels like. Because Peter was the guy that swore up and down, Jesus, I'll never do what you're saying I'll do. And he does. Here's the thing, church. This is, this is 
kind of a little epiphany I got from this. Listen, listen to this. We cannot put ourselves in a position where we are sitting with the enemy and think we're going to be okay as long as we can kind of see Jesus. We cannot put ourselves in a position where we're acting like the world as long as we can see Jesus. We can't do it. As believers in Jesus, we are to be set apart. If we can't sit with sinners and not sin with sinners, we got no business being there. Jesus isn't calling you to be there then. There's other people who can do that. Now, I remember when I first got saved, there was no way I was going back to my old friends. It took a long time before I even felt I had the strength within me to not succumb to the things, to the, my old lifestyle. And, and Peter put himself in a bad position. As much as he wanted to keep his eyes on Jesus, he put himself in a position where he, be, he denied Jesus. And he kind of paid the price for it. Think of the agony and the, the inner turmoil that he had when he, when he left that night. That's the, I feel so bad for Peter in this moment. But then in the Gospel of John, you see that, that Jesus is resurrected and he's walking the earth. And he, he has a special moment just for Peter. Cooks him a fish breakfast and it's just this reunion and, and, and Peter's uplifted again. But church... Isn't this what we do, though? Isn't this, we often find ourselves in a bad position because we're no longer surrounded by like-minded people. We're no longer in, a, in an atmosphere where we're with other believers. We're doing things we ought not be doing simply because we think it's okay because we come to church on Sunday or we have an eye on Jesus. I should be okay doing this. Well, Peter put himself in a bad position. I don't think he ever knew that that night was going to end the way that it did. But here's the good news in all of this. Jesus knows. He knows we're going to mess up. He sees us doing these things, and I think he tries to get our attention as much as he can. And, and when we've blocked him out, then we're kind of left to our own devices. He'll be there to help us pick up the pieces. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows that the enemy wants to sift us like wheat. And all the while, he is pleading with the Father for our repentance, for our lives, for us on our behalf. See, we can never mess up so bad that our future dreams that God has for us cease to exist. Did you know that? You can't mess up God's plans for you. Remember what Jesus told Peter. When you have repented and turned back to me again, we're going to do this. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I got you. The steps to this process, though, are to accept the responsibility for our actions. And humbly ask God for his mercy and forgiveness. And so, what does that look like? Well, there's another character in the Bible who, when you read about his life, this guy was a mess. But he is referred to as a man after God's own heart. 
He's in the Old Testament, and his name is David, King David. He was a warrior for God. He was a warrior for the Israelites. He, he helped clean out the, the land of Canaan, which became the nation of Israel, cleaning out of all these pagan nations that were doing the, the most despicable of things. David was a warrior, but David, man, he was messed up. One night, he's got battle going on out there, and he's staying at the palace, and he's up at the roof. Many of you know this story, right? He sees another lady bathing on the roof, and he calls her over, commits adultery with this lady. Her husband is out on the battlefield, and he's like, oh, what have I done? He goes, calls her husband, and has a little, you know, hey, let's hang out. Why don't you relax? Take it easy. The guy says, I can't. I'm so dedicated to Israel. I've got to be on the battlefield. So David sends him back out onto the battlefield in a specific area where he knows the man is going to get killed. The lady, Bathsheba, he commits adultery with, gets pregnant. It's a whole mess. And that wasn't, that's not all of it. I mean, David did some, he made some mistakes. But with this particular one, in his grief, he wrote a prayer down that is known as Psalm 51. And so I want to read a couple sections from this psalm. This psalm is a psalm of forgiveness. It's very powerful. We, could, we, I don't, we can't read the entire psalm right now, but I'm going to read some passages. I, I have them up on, on the screen. But this psalm, if you feel that you've messed up so bad, this is a psalm that will restore the dreams that God has for us when we mess up. Amen. Listen to this, verses 1 through 3. This is David speaking to God. This is why he was known as a, a man after God's own heart. He knew to get back to God. He knew what the power of God's forgiveness, his grace and mercy was all about. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Skip down to, to verse 6. But you desire honesty from the womb teaching me wisdom even there. You know, the moment we are conceived, God begins to teach us the wisdom of our ways. Did you know that? And then, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Now, that's just a couple sections, but that entire prayer. Now, here's the thing. If you feel you've messed up so bad and, you, and, you, and you're not too sure about the forgiveness thing, read this psalm, read it out loud to God, Mean it when you read it, and then put it away and move on with your life. You only need to ask for forgiveness once. Jesus is just. He'll forgive you right then and there, and that's it. But when we mess up, church, we have to ask God for his mercy to be upon us. Ask him to blot out the stain of wrongdoing, God. Wash away this guilt, Lord Jesus, and cleanse me from the mistake that I've made, the sin that I've committed. I recognize my rebellion, God, and you, dear God, desire honesty, and I want to bring it to you. That's all God wants from us is our honesty. If he gets our honesty from us, he's got us. You know what I mean? Like, we can't, we can't fool God. We can fool everybody around us. We can even fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. Bless you. This this is called owning it. This is what owning it looks like right here. Accepting responsibility for our actions. 
This is allowing the conviction of God's Holy Spirit to bring to light that we messed up. Guilt and condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction, the fact that I need to get this right, comes from God's Holy Spirit. Talk to God about it. Get the record set straight with him. Because all he wants is for us to be honest with him. Often, and, 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 and here, here's the do. When we do this, God will see us through every moment of our lives. And, and oftentimes, too, we need something more than just a prayer in ourselves. We need to talk to somebody. You know, that's what I'm here for. I, I, I can't, I, I'll never try to change a person. I can't fix your problems. But I can help. And I'll walk through them with you. And as we're talking, I, I, I know that God's Holy Spirit will bring some wisdom and shed some light on the situation. I can promise you that. Or your life group leader in the church, that's what life groups are all about. Talk to somebody about it. Because oftentimes we need to talk to someone to help get us back on track. We need that, just that human interaction, you know? And then, and here's the thing. This is very important. Because when we don't deal with the mess we've got ourselves into, we'll never experience the freedom of God's forgiveness. Instead, we carry it around with us. And the longer we carry it around with us, the heavier it becomes and the uglier it becomes inside of us. We'll carry the sin and it will find a way to haunt us as we go through life. And then what happens is things remind us of that, people remind us of that, and it all comes out. And we project how we feel on the inside on them. And this is another factor that hinders the dreams that God has for us. And, and verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. This is the start over. This is the redo. This is the restoration process of this prayer. The grace and mercy of God will begin to pour over us as we feel like a new person again. And then James, again, in chapter 5, he tells us, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Did you know there's healing in confession? That doesn't mean that we have to confess every single little thing to people, you know? But when you're, when you're harboring something, Maybe you ought to talk to somebody about it. And I, 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 God's word says, you may be healed from this. You may be healed spiritually, mentally, even physically. Because when we, we harbor these things that we're carrying around with us, it blocks all kinds of blessings. It really does. And James says, confess to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Maybe the struggles you're having in life is because you're not dealing with your mistakes. And when we experience God's forgiveness and God's restoration, we experience Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As much as I messed up, or mess up, I know I'm not condemned. I know that Jesus will see me through it. I walk in the forgiveness that I have in my Savior. No condemnation, only freedom, only grace, only mercy 
constant renewal and restoration when we mess up. Because we all are going to mess up. We all make mistakes. And then here's what gives me kind of the boldness to confidently proclaim this. Listen to this. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, all the way in the back, but it's up on the screen. Listen to this. This is uh, the Apostle John speaking here. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Jesus paid for every wrongdoing that we've done and still have yet to do. Did you know that? Everything you haven't done yet that's a big mess up, he's already paid for that. And this is part of the good news that brings great joy to all people. Amen? And the last thing I want to do is this. Listen, nothing we can do takes away from the dreams and the plans God has for us. Nothing. Romans 11, chapter, verse 29. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. He'll never take from you what he already gave you. We'll give it up, but he won't take it. Remember, we all make mistakes. And we have an enemy that wants to sift us like wheat, blow us off course, heap guilt and condemnation upon us, crush our faith. Anything he can do to keep us from fulfilling God's dreams, God's call, and God's giftings on our life, he will do to keep us from fulfilling those dreams and plans that we have that God poured into us. But it's up to us. How are we going to respond how are we going to act and how are we going to react to the events that take place in our lives? It's all up to us. That's the part of the free will that we get. Free will causes us to mess up and free will causes us to come back to Christ. So it's up to us. So we'll bring this, this whole message to a close right here. Church, let's all plan to keep dreaming and trusting God despite our past. This is a new year. We've all made mistakes last year. Don't bring those into this year. And, and don't pick them back up in February. Right? Renew that gym membership and keep going. <laughs> They're counting on you this, right, this month. <laughs> but here's the deal. We're, we all make mistakes. It's going to happen. All right? So own it. Get back in the good graces of your Savior and move on. Because when, not if, but when we make mistakes, when we mess up, just ask God for forgiveness. Talk to him about it. And also, be sure to forgive those who have hurt and offended you. I have a, a verse that, that I, I believe it holds a lot of weight. At least it does in my life. Jesus said, if you can't forgive others, my Father cannot forgive you. we got to learn to forgive, church. Forgive others. 
If you expect God to forgive you, then somebody else is expecting you to forgive them, even whether they know it or not. We need to walk in that. And then we have Psalm 51, the entire psalm, as a prayer model for asking God to refresh us, to cleanse us, and to create within us a new heart to help us start over again. This is a prayer of forgiveness to get us to a place where we can experience the freedom of God's grace and mercy. Because God doesn't want us walking around discouraged and beaten up by life. He doesn't. He has plans for each one of us, plans to succeed, plans to prosper. He wants us to keep dreaming big and to trust in him. And so I, I have a passage that I'm really leaning on heavily for, uh, for this year. Kind of started back last year. It's in Isaiah chapter 43. And this is, this is my prayer for us, for me personally, but for us as a church. And, and I want to read this as a way to kind of motivate us. Ready? It goes like this. Isaiah 43, chapter, uh, verse 18. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's telling the Israelites all these things he's done for them. I've, I've split the Red Sea. I've, I've brought you out of captivity. I've done all of these things. And then in verse 18, but forget about all that. Forget about all those things. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Yeah, forget about what happened to you last year. The plans and dreams that God has for you now is nothing compared to the things he's done for you. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Make that your, your, your banner for this year. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the motivation and the life that we get, that your word breathes into our spirits, God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for what is about to take place in the next few minutes as we enter into an atmosphere of worship. I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, which, which I believe is hovering above us right now, begins to, to speak to us, begins to rest upon us, begins to enter us, and begins to give us the confidence and the boldness we need to move into not just a new year, but a new us, refreshed, renewed, restored, recovered, sought out and saved by our Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name.